blessing to hear it, and we can always be grateful. I don't think we could ever say it enough that every week we have people on both sides here that seek to lead us in music. They put a lot of work into all of that, and we thank God for their willingness to do that. Our scripture is going to be from Hebrews 12. Before we go there, let's take a moment and ask God's mercies on us as we receive his word today. Heavenly Father, it's good to be able to join together to rally around your word. We give together, we sing together, we receive the word together, and we pray that your spirit may be at work in us so that we may receive the word well unto your praise in faith, with hope, and with love in our hearts given to us by your spirit who has inspired his word. May your word being read and word being ministered be done in such a way as to bring glory to you, to put our great God in the forefront uh, so that he may, that you may be greater along with your son and spirit, the one only God, and we might be lesser, save for the fact that we may be able to know the privilege by your grace of being known as your children in Christ. We'd ask that you'd hear us in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to take a moment to read a portion out of Hebrews 12, and we're going to read verses 14 to 29. If you're visiting, we've been taking a look at a few New Testament passages that have the word therefore in it, and this whole chapter actually is filled with that. It starts that way. It ends that way. Uh, we're starting where we are in verse 14 of Hebrews 12, though, because of times past that I've had a chance to <coughs> preach on uh, some of these other passages. Uh, and yet we're going to see even in this portion that we're reading that it's going to be a continuation of therefores. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to hang out here for a few weeks uh, because there's much to be said here about superior privileges and superior callings that God's people have, which is why we should pursue them and why we should rejoice in them uh, as opposed to the things the world wants to offer us. So we're going to pick up at verse uh, 14 of Hebrews 12. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, 
and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our focus this morning is going to be in verses 14 through 17, as I'll make more clear in uh, the sermon itself. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier in this chapter, and we didn't read, and if you go back into chapter 11, uh, you're finding that the centrality of what's being directed towards the people of God here is that they're being encouraged to run the race of faith that God has marked out for them, and to do that with perseverance. Uh, and, and they're supposed to do that with a past, present, and future kind of mentality. Think about the heroes of faith in the past. Emulate them. Uh, be inspired by them. Consider the victorious Christ of the present, who's the ultimate example and the ultimate savior. And then consider the hardships that God uses to prepare us for holiness in the future and for eternity. So you got kind of this past, this is what happened in the past, here's what's going on right now, and what I want you to be doing in pursuing this race of faith is think about what's going to happen in the future. Running a race of faith with perseverance is worth running because in Jesus Christ, God gives us these superior callings and superior privileges that are marked out for us here. And there's four that are mentioned in the tail end of Hebrews 12. And they include chasing after holiness, a heavenly worship or a heavenly mountain, and that's something we'll look at at another time, a heavenly voice that we need to listen to, and then an unshakable kingdom of which we're a part when we're in Jesus. So this morning we're just thinking about the first of those superiorities that's given to, to, to Christians, that holy pursuit, which is kind of a continuation of what's being talked about already in the earlier verses of Hebrews 12, this, this chase, this holy pursuit to which we're called as we run with endurance the race of faith before us. And, and that's, that's not something, when you think about chasing after things, that's not something foreign to us, really. Right? Because 
Sometimes I'll talk to you, some of you people, or you'll talk to me and you'll ask, you know, so how has your week been? Right? Or, or how has it been going for you? Like, we, have, we need to catch up on some things. And, and sometimes what we'll end up saying is, oh man, I, I've just been chasing. <laughs> I've just been going from one thing to another thing to another thing. And we find ourselves in life doing that, don't we? That we, we're chasing after things. We're pursuing things. We're running after things. And, it, and it's a good thing that when we're talking about trying to pursue and to chase and to run after, that, that, that all that chasing and all that pursuing and all that running is in the context of, of the most superior chase or pursuit that we all need to be taking on. And that is the pursuit of holiness. In all our chasing, is, is that what we're pursuing? Something to think about, is something to reflect on. It's one of the things that is nice about the Lord's Day, isn't it? That you've got time to, to kind of take stock, to reflect a moment. You take a breather. Okay, all this chasing. Now I don't have to chase for a moment. I can just sit and, and ponder the Word of God and see where I'm at in my walk of life. Well, the holy pursuit here that, that's being talked about is something that's following the call for people to, to heal uh, their spiritual injuries of the past, to get perspective about some of the things that have pained them, have been difficult for them, to make the future smoother for themselves. And, and that's by keeping perspective on how the Heavenly Father is treating them. And, and to keep our eyes on Jesus, uh, to remember the heroes of faith, that what we're going through, whatever we're going through, is not forgotten by the Father, it's nothing foreign to, to our Savior, and it's certainly not anything foreign to the Old Testament heroes of faith either. And that helps to heal those injuries and smooth the road as we carry on in that pursuit of holiness. And that pursuit's fleshed out here in these verses. And we see it in three ways. One of them is, states that we need to make an effort to live at peace with all men. Strive for peace with everyone. And it goes on to say, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Romans 12, verse 18 says that as far as it depends on us, we are to live at peace with all men. Blessed are the peacemakers, says Jesus in the Beatitudes. And, and Hebrews, and it's interesting that this comes up like it does here, because Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, has just finished discussing all the various problems that the Old Testament saints had. And it, and it wasn't just because they were sick or because they were getting old or, or something of that nature or that maybe you know, business wasn't going quite the way you wanted it to go. They were having problems with sinful people opposing them. And, and Jesus had to face that, of course. And, and 
Christians are facing that under the Father's care. But the point being made then is, okay, you see all this enmity, you see all this opposition. Now how are you going to respond to it? Others might seek to be at enmity with you. They don't like you. They may even hate you because of your faith. But is that then your calling to return that in favor to that world that hates you? See, peace-seeking is, is part of the superior way of living. It's, it's different. Society in general doesn't believe in superior living or believing. That, that's just, that's too exclusive. Every way is as good as another. You live the way you want, I'll live the way I want, and we'll all be the same that way. We all get to do what we want. Everybody's equal. Well, that just can't be, right? It, it can't be logically, and it certainly isn't the way of Scripture's calling to holy living. Not everything, not every way can be superior. Not every way can be holy. I mean, if that was the case, there would be nothing that was holy because it's something that's set apart. So the way of the world would be to, to stick it to people to the way that we've had it stuck to us. Let's make sure that that's how we say things to such, do things to such, and, and how we look even at people. To show that we think as less of them as they do of us. If they hate us without a cause, oh, well, let's make sure that we hate them too. And that's not a holy pursuit. It's not a superior pursuit. That, that's, just, that's just being like everybody else. No, the, the writer here is telling us there's got to be a higher road to take. And it's the road of Christ and God the Father and following Him, following them. And what, how are we following them? Well, it's because they're the ones who brought peace to our lives through the blood of the cross. And that's how Hebrews ends, doesn't it? May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, equip you for, with everything for doing his will and what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ for his everlasting glory, the God of peace. That's the holy way. Now, on the heels of that call to peace, there's a qualifier. We, we don't live at peace with the world and at war with God. We're not, not to be at peace with the world at all costs. Because you get that caveat that's there. And with the holiness, right, this is also what we're pursuing, with the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We're not to live like the world, to be at peace with the world. Holiness follows God's standards and not the world's. And as long as there is a church and there's a world, there's going to be this, this enmity, right? 
Christians, by definition, are strangers and aliens in the world. We're to be light in the world, but we're not to be the world. Christians are to stand apart and, and, and hold to Christian creeds and values. And we're not going to give up on the unique atonement of Christ then for salvation and say, well, you can be saved however you jolly well think. It's fine. And, and we're not going to be a people who's going to just stop praising God from Lord's Day to Lord's Day. And we're not going to be people who, who work simply for people or for a paycheck, but for the Lord. And we're going to honor marriage and we're going to keep the marriage bed pure and we're going to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. And the world is not going to dictate our creed or the standard by which we live. And I can tell you, and I say this maybe more often, but you know, I could see over you know, 35 years of doing this, rounding it up, how I've seen how the culture has oftentimes dictated how the church is going to operate. And that isn't the way it's supposed to be. We're to be light and salt to them. God's way is, is the better way to believe in Christ and serve the Savior. You can't win people for Christ by abandoning Christ. You can't just say to people, well, everybody's included and everybody's allowed in here, but you don't have to stand for anything. You can just be what you want like you were when you weren't in here. Because Christ doesn't matter. You can't win people for Christ by abandoning Christ. People do that otherwise, too, right? Family comes before Christ. Those who yell the loudest come before Christ. The majority comes before Christ. We can't accept everything and say it's good when it isn't. It's going to be the pursuit of holiness that's going to move us to live at peace with all men. But it will also be the pursuit of holiness that will draw the line where we can't go along with the world. So that's, that's as far as we can go. Part of the holy pursuit is to see to it that also that a second thing is that no one misses the, the grace of God. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Another version says, uh, let no one fall short of the grace of God. And no bitter root, let no bitter root grow up to cause trouble and to defile many. Now, the word to, to, to mean, as we see it here in verse 15, see to it that no one fails or falls short or misses, that, that word is, is a word that is used to mean if you're left behind in the, in the race, if you come up short, if you're running in a race, and you decide, and, and anybody who's ever run in a race, you've got this temptation to say, I'm going to quit. 
And I'm not going to take it to the end. It's just too painful. I just don't like it. I'm not enjoying it. And there's a temptation to quit. And so it's, it's this idea of somebody who's left behind, who's come up short, they've fallen short. And the terms used earlier in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, of course we saw that last week in the evening, and it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering the re his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. See, that same idea. You're falling short. And it's used there to describe the, the hardened of heart in the wilderness episodes of Exodus. And so missing God's grace is to, basically, it's to renounce, it's to give up your Christian faith. Uh, you, you have a similar statement that's made in, in chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, where it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Sin has, sin has deceived people. People have heard the gospel. We saw that too from Hebrews 4 last time in verses uh, Hebrews 4, 2 and 6. They heard the gospel back in the, in the days of Moses, but they turned from it. And in particular, they were people from among the covenant people of God. We're not talking about people that were from China or were, you know, from some non-Jewish, non-covenantal people back then. These are people that heard the gospel all the time. But they turned from it. And how did they turn from it? Well, they, they turned from it because God had said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm promising the entrance to the rest of Canaan. But they didn't think God could do that. They didn't believe the gospel that was preached to them. All they saw were giants. There big people out there. They're bigger than we are. And they forgot that God was bigger than those giants were. And so they didn't believe the gospel about their great, like the kids sing sometimes, their great big God. And so instead of entering the rest, they died in the wilderness. They fell short. They had hardened their hearts to the gospel promises. God was testing them while they were in the wilderness. And they were, he was testing them as they were getting close to the promised land, but they were found wanting. They, they didn't pass the test. Because what they wanted to do, you see, was they wanted to test God. And said, God, you're going to fail us. As if God and his word deserve proving. As if they deserve, it, it deserves testing. You know, the kind of people today that would fit that category would be covenant people who either once thought that the gospel was worthy of their devotion, but they turned on it. And it could be because of persecution or simply because people just think there's a whole lot of other things out there that are a whole lot more important and more fun and more valuable and worth their time. Chasing after. 
that they thought were better, that was more, more of a priority. Or, or they just never thought, you know, professing Christ at all, at all was even a, a matter of importance. Since deceit was more attractive to them, the thought is elaborated by the idea of a bitter root here that rises up that needs to be rooted out. You know, many need encouragement in their faith, but then there are those who become disloyal to God and they want others to share with their disloyalty. And that whole notion of, of bitter roots, uh, you know, if you're the kind of person that has their Bibles open, uh, you can go back to Deuteronomy 29, verse 18, and it talks about this. I'm going to go there. You can follow me there. And this is what was said in Deuteronomy 29, back in the Exodus days. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there, he, um, there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit one who, when he hears the word of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart and says, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. They will lead, this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him. But rather, the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. You know, and you see what's going on there is that this root is having its effect on others, right? So it, it, it could be that it's not just that one person, but it's all those people who see him or hear from him or hear from her, right? And so they, they, they follow something else or they, they, they take up some kind of sinful approach to things and people, people lap it up. They think that's good too. Right? So there's this, and, and then there's this comfort that says, you know, and it's, it isn't going to matter whether I do these things or I don't do these things. Uh, I'll be saved. And so you've got this reminder in this passage where God is reminding, going back to Deuteronomy 29, reminding the people of Israel that there would be those who would turn to idols, they turn to false gods, other than God for their life, and it would spread doubt and disloyalty about God like a bitter root spreading its influence. It's kind of like a bad apple in the bunch. A leaven that goes through the whole dough. Right? That's why elders right, have to go and they, they visit with people if they happen to if they've become blasé in the faith and they, you know, they don't come to worship anymore or they, they've done things wrong that they, they don't, they're not penitent about. The, the elders can't just sit there and say, well, that's okay. You, you just go do those things because that's not going to have any effect on anybody. Well, yeah, it is. And, and such are those whose races of faith you see never come to completion. And they fall short of the goal, and they, and they don't run with Christ in mind, and they certainly don't run to the end with Christ in mind. Christ isn't in the mind. They're just chasing. 
And they head another way and they seek to take others with them on a different route. Wife, children, friends, and, and others in the covenant community. And we're to look out for that kind of error, but also by God's grace to seek to have it corrected. And have it rooted out, because that kind of a root carries no light. And that kind of error is not the way of holiness, and it's not without, and it's without such holiness, no one will see the Lord. Well, there's one more holy pursuit that's here, and that's one that's called to put one's appetites in conformity, in conformity with the will and holiness of God. And that's what you get at the very last portion there that we just uh, we read earlier, uh, where it says uh, no one is sex that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. One's appetites are not supposed to be ends in themselves. Right? We don't work to eat, or we don't do what we do just to satisfy ourselves. They're not ends in themselves, or ones that are served instead of Christ, who has saved and the God who has sent him to save. We read that we are to promote a purity of life and a life where God dictates our desires for good and not our desires dictating our behavior for bad. Later, Hebrews is going to say that we need to keep the marriage bed pure. That's, that's holy living. Sexual immorality is nothing more than a desire to have our sexual appetites satisfied as we see fit. Not as God sees fit. And they become more important to us than anything. Marriage is a bond where two have come together selflessly and, and intimately that way before the face of God in a lifelong commitment and covenant. And sexual immorality just comes and tries to mess that all up. It's a perversion. It's a dishonor of that commitment and that covenant. Because again, we live in a society that says we don't have to be committed. We don't have to be loyal to our spouses. We can selfishly pursue whatever we consider good for us. If it feels good, we do it. Nothing seems to be considered immoral in our day. To speak about immorality is to be a bigot today and a racist or a criminal of hate. We should be locked up. Of course, nothing's new under the sun. That amoral way of thinking and living isn't anything new which, where good is considered evil and evil's good. It was obviously a problem back in the days of Hebrews as well. It fails to see that an uncontrolled and selfless way of life where we're not committed and we are not loyal is doomed for God's judgment. That without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. That God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. When it comes to sexuality, God provides a better way, a holy way, a superior way. Honor marriage and keep the marriage bed pure. That's, that's the way we've been called to run. That's what we've been called to chase. 
And what Esau did and has this in common with sexual immorality. In both cases, appetite was not kept in check. Moses traded a life in the palace to be associated with the people of God, Hebrews says, rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. And Esau traded away the gospel promises for a single meal. What would last forever, now get this, right? What would last forever in gospel promise was traded away for something that would last for a few moments. That's what Esau did. He didn't live for eternity, he lived, he lived for the moment. That's what a lot of people do. That's what they chase. They chase the moment. The world lives for the moment. Because it believes that's the only thing for which to live. It's the only thing to chase. No matter the cost. A moment's satisfaction was worth more than his soul for Esau. That's how people live. A lot of times, such as the foolishness of unbelief and of devaluing the gospel promises. It makes life cheap. For Esau, the pleasures of this world meant more to him than the joy of eternity in Christ. And he made his choice. And instead of being known as a child of God, a recipient of God's inheritance that awaits the people of God, he had other desires in mind. And Esau's choices could not be undone. It was too late to undo what he did. He was a child of the covenant, but he made his choice. And, and when he did, he couldn't undo it. And sin can be like that so often, can't it? You make a wrong choice and you can't undo it. It has, an, it has consequences. You can't take it back. The hurt's been done. The damage has been caused. The honor has been lost. The reputation sullied. And it is sad. When those who have grown up on the, in the church of Jesus Christ, the covenant community of God, give up on the privileges that belong to those whose trust is in Christ. And I've seen it happen all the time. They value something or someone more than being a child of God in Christ. Worshiping and serving the Savior and running the race of faith, they aren't it. And it, it, is, it is such a sad thing. Sometimes it's a frustrating thing. You know, it even happens with people that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go to a profession of faith class and you spend time with them. And you bring them before the elders and you say, yep, you know what, they're ready. They, they, and, and they give you all the right answers. And then you never see them again. You feel like a dope. It happens all the time. And it's sad. It's a frustrating thing. Worshiping and serving the Savior and Lord. Being devoted to Him. A few generations down the road, they're not going to be around. There isn't anybody from that family going to be around. They don't care. 
Esau was unlike Moses, who chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Esau lived for the moment. A lot of people live for the moment. Esau was the firstborn. But in the end, he didn't even belong to the church of the firstborn. And he never gained the inheritance, and he traded it off, and it meant nothing to be a child of the Heavenly Father in Christ. It was too late to change that. He was sad for the result, but he wasn't sad for what he did. He chose the inferior road. He chose the road of ungodliness. And there are many, indeed, that will be like that and have been like that. There may be there may be people here, who's to say? Going by history, that could happen. That can't wait until they're old enough so that they don't have to go to church anymore. There's people like that. Now that I'm older, I don't have to worship anymore. And they choose other roads. Because church is not for me, Christ isn't for me. There's other things that are just so much more important to me. I, I'm living for the moment. And this passage says, don't be like that. Don't be godless and profane like Esau. Without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. One day, one day, if that's the attitude, one day, if that's the attitude, people are going to regret that because it's a day of judgment. But then, but then it's going to be too late. And you'll want the blessing, right? That's the thing. You'll want the blessing, but it'll be too late. Because you, you made your bed. You, you chose a different way. And it wasn't the pursuit of holiness in Christ. You didn't care about Christ. You know, the superior calling is what's especially stressed here. It's such a better way to live for Jesus. It's such a better way to, to rest in him. If you're chasing, isn't it great when, you're, when what you're chasing is in the context of chasing holiness? It's a superior privilege. It's a superior calling. And the privilege of coming to the heavenly mount is what we're going to look at the next time in the morning, next week. Lord will. But in the meantime, we can all ask ourselves the question, what in the world are we chasing? What are we chasing? Is it laced with the superior chase and pursuit of holiness? We want to live at peace as far as it depends on us with everyone, even if they oppose us in Christ. And we do it with a trust in God's gospel promises and standards. And what we're doing is that we're not living for the moment, but we're living for eternity. Because that's what we should be chasing. It's part of what it means. To run with endurance, the race of faith marked out for us by the Savior Jesus Christ.
Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Father, may we receive your word today with its comforts and its challenges. May your spirit be at work in us so that in our responses now and throughout the week, your name may be exalted. We ask that you'd hear us in Jesus' name.